sent him to die on a cross for us, God. And yet we're seeing his living hope and power in our lives daily today. Even this morning, he's ministering and he's working, he's touching lives, he's changing us, God. And I pray that it wouldn't be my words this morning, but it would be your words, God. Thank you for speaking already. Thank you for what you're doing. And we just pray that you bless this morning, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So this is a continuation of what God has been doing over the last few weeks. We started with Luke talking about the kingdom of God a few weeks ago and um, reading scriptures with Hans last week about who Jesus is in the word. And so I want to spend today looking at how do we encounter Jesus? How do we really know him? And ultimately, how do we follow him? And um, I don't want to just tell you about Jesus. I want to show you Jesus. So you wouldn't just hear it. You'd believe it. It's not information. It's transformation. I feel the inner charismatic in me coming out. Can I get an amen? It's not about explanation, but demonstration. Amen. It's not about tribulation, but jubilation. It's not perspiration, but dedication. Not subjugation, but liberation. Amen. It's not about prosperity, but it's about suffering. Amen. That's the whole gospel for us today. It's what Jesus does every day in us, and it's about change. And my hope for you this morning is that you will leave changed, not by my words, but what Jesus has done in you. And as emotive as it is to say it that way, I really am believing that this will move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. And so I wrote down a few things this week. I must say I got a bit distracted writing about Jesus. I just ran page after page after page of what God was saying to me about his son. But I picked out some of the key points, and these are the, the ones I wrote down. Jesus is God. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He's a revolutionary. But he's also my friend. In the Word of God, we see every aspect of his character in story form. It makes him super relatable, but also worthy of all. He's forgiving. He's loving. He's merciful. He's strong. He's passionate. He's obedient to his father. He's also obedient to his mother, as we see in the story of the wedding in Cana, where his mom comes to him and says, oh, this wedding is tanking. We're running out of wine. Jesus, don't you want to do that party trick that you do? And he says, no, mom, he's reluctant. He says, my time has not come yet. He said, this is not what I'm called for. He says, do you see in the Gospels, it says, I'm here to proclaim good news to the poor. I'm here to set the captives free. I'm here to restore sight to the blind. It doesn't say I'm here to top up people's wine glasses. And being a normal mom, she ignores him and says to the servants, just do what he tells you to do. And he pushes the boundaries. He takes the ceremonial stone pots that are full of cleansing water when you get there to wash yourself off, and he turns that into wine. 120 liters of water into wine. And to make that change on a molecular level, the composition from water into wine would take the amount of energy of nearing an atomic bomb. And Jesus holds that power in his hand as he changes it into wine. And he changes the whole atmosphere. And as much as I could go on about how amazing he is and how he's our king, there's a video I want to watch that says it much better than I do. Maybe, Joy, you can play that video for us and we can just... Learn more about Jesus, our King. 
is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. That's my king. And this morning, I wonder, do you know him? If you don't, my prayer is you will know him. And if you do know him, my prayer is you'll know him better. And I want to look at how do we encounter him? How do the disciples encounter him? How do all those around him spend time with him? And so I want to look, first of all, with how did those walking closest to him at the time encounter him? And that's the disciples. And so we're going to read a bit of scripture together, starting with Luke 5, verse 1 to 11, where he calls the first disciples. And it says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were becoming his disciples. 
and they were washing their nets. We obviously know they hadn't caught anything, so they were busy cleaning their nets after their evening out. And he got into the, one of the boats belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boats. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So the disciples at this point had already got a little bit of a glimpse of who Jesus was. They'd been working hard all night, and then he took one of their boats, and he was preaching from the boats. And so they had some idea, but they didn't have a, a great um, background to him. And Simon, who was never shy to shoot off his mouth, said <clears throat> at this point, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. So you imagine what Simon's thinking. He's thinking, Jesus, I believe you're a carpenter. I don't know how many fish you come across in the carpentry business, but we know a thing or two about fishing. And the best time to catch fish is at night and in the best conditions. And they had caught zero. But he said, because he had a glimpse of who Jesus was, he says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink, which is the theme we start to see with the disciples in sinking boats. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Interesting response there from who started off as Simon. As he saw the revelation of who Jesus was, he became Simon Peter. And when we encounter Jesus, he convicts us of sin. Not to make us feel guilt or shame, but to enable us for a purpose, to bring freedom. And he fell at his knees and he was convicted of his sin. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men leading into evangelism, which we'll look at later. And so they pulled their boats on shore. They left everything, and they followed him. Let's, let's move on from that. Well, actually, let's not. Let's read that last sentence again. They pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything, and they followed him word Gareth brought earlier about can we leave everything behind and follow Jesus. And I love this passage of scripture and the other ones I'm going to read because they are highly challenging for me. <laughs> so to preach it, I hope I'm not uh, uh, challenged on this immediately, but God often says to me, would you drop everything? Would you leave your wife and kids, your job, your house, your inheritance to follow Jesus? And I'd like to say I would but it's something that Jesus is working on my heart every day. And this is something that I love the irony of this. These are fishermen who've worked hard all night. They've caught nothing. Jesus comes, and they catch so many fish that both boats are almost sinking to contain these fish. And if these guys were good businessmen, they would be thinking, Jesus, you are the perfect business partner. If you rock up every morning at this time and we catch this many fish, we are going to be rich. And the irony is, having seen how he could affect their business, they left it all behind to follow him, going with nothing. And sometimes we think, Jesus, how are you going to bless my business or my ministry? Or what are you going to do for me? If you partner with me, how's that going to look? And Jesus is saying, partner with me, and I'm going to take you on a journey. And I'm an engineer. I like to have a plan. I like to know how things would look. If I was in that situation, I'd probably have a few small questions that come to mind. Like, Jesus, okay, I'm going to follow you. Where are we going? How are we going to get there? Where will we sleep? What does your medical aid plan look like? 
will there be retirement benefits? Will I die? But now the disciples had seen him, and they didn't question. Even Simon Peter was like, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And they left everything behind. And we see that was the best decision they could have made. Jesus goes on to perform many miracles. He does lots of signs and wonders. People are healed. He's preaching the gospel. They have a fantastic time together. And then we hit an interesting miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, the only one that's um, recorded in all four gospels. And at this point, Jesus was on a Sermon on the Mount. He was concluding his message, and there was a massive crowd, 5,000 men, they say, and even more women and children, and they're all getting hungry. And um, it says here that... Um, Philip said it would take half a year's wages to feed all these people. And Jesus has a plan. He says, bring me the loaves and the fish, and he starts to multiply it. And there was so much food left over after he multiplied the loaves and the fish that there were 12 baskets left, which we presume were doggy bags for the disciples and uh, probably why their boats were sinking later. And Jesus had a sense, though, as he was preaching to the crowd, that their hearts were starting to long after what he could do for them and not what he was. And the crowd was actually there for him to feed them. And as he did that miracle, there was a sense of they're seeking after food and not after me. And so he disperses the crowd, um, which is quite a miracle on its own. I would like to see any of us disperse 5,000 or more people without a microphone and sends them off on their way. And he sends the disciples off across the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake. And he goes up to pray um, to just have some quiet time. And it says early in the morning... He sees the disciples in the middle of the lake, and they're in trouble because the storm has come up. And they talked about sort of three-meter-tall waves. Their boat was probably only about half a meter off the water. The waves were flooding in, and they were in very real danger of actually dying in that place. And the disciples were scared. And so Jesus went out to see them. And why did he do this? He loves them. But he also had entrusted the entire kingdom to these 12 men. If that boat had gone down, none of us would be here today. And so we pick up in Matthew 22. It says, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. (laughs) And they cried out in fear. I never have understood this. They've walked with him for how long? They've seen him every day. They know him as the Messiah, and yet they think it's a ghost. And the fear that they were in had distorted their image of Jesus. And I want to say, when your circumstances determine what the image of Jesus looks like, you've let fear come in, and you're seeing him differently to how he wants to be seen. And we must be careful of that, because when we don't see Jesus for who he is, we won't understand what he's doing. And if there's circumstances in your life where fear has come in, I pray that you let those things go, and we get a new concept of what Jesus is again, and who he is to us. And then it says, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, let me come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. See, when we encounter Jesus, we encounter his power. And we can do miracles that Jesus did. But we have to believe and we have to trust. But then Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Now, Peter was always giving Jesus a bit of a hard time from time to time. You can imagine Jesus in this case being, see, I told you, you know, you doubted and now you're sinking. 
and this is your lack of faith, what's going on? But I believe in this situation, Jesus is so full of compassion that he's proud of Peter. He's saying, you're walking on water for me. Why did you doubt? He's almost like, like, what happened there? And he immediately lifted him out. He immediately reaches out to us in trouble. He doesn't wait and let us sink in the circumstances we're in. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, that seems obvious because they were his disciples. But it's actually not so obvious why they worshipped him. In Mark 6, verse 51 I give you Mark? He goes on to say, um, then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves and their hearts were hardened. And this is talking about the disciples' hearts were hardened against Jesus. How crazy is that? That you've walked to them, he's your friend, and yet you've misunderstood what he's doing so much, your hearts have become hardened. And he goes on the next day when the crowd goes to try and find him and reach him, and he actually says to the crowd, I'm not here to give you breakfast because I am the bread of life. I'm not here to give you bread. I'm not here to provide for your everyday needs. I'm here that you would seek me. And the disciples missed it, and the crowd missed it. And he had to show them continuously what he was there for. Um, and then from there, we know what happens. Jesus goes and continues his ministry. And then comes the time where he has to go to the cross and he's arrested and everyone leaves him and Simon Peter tries to stand up for him and he cuts off a guard's ear and Jesus says you don't you still don't know what I'm doing and then he goes to the cross and he dies for our sins and what happens to Simon Peter a little girl says to him weren't you the one walking with Jesus wasn't that you and he goes no it wasn't me and she said no I saw you with him and he says, that wasn't me. And the third time she asks him, and he denies Jesus three times. And then the disciples who had walked with him realized that the Savior of theirs was gone. And what do they do? They feel sorry for themselves. They get down on themselves. They thought he was going to come and abolish the Roman Empire. He was going to lead them all into this wonderful new life of peace and prosperity no pain, no suffering. That was the vision that they had for Jesus. And he hadn't fulfilled that dream. He had died on a cross. And they're like, Jesus, where have you left us? And then we know three days after he died, he was resurrected. And he started to appearing, appearing to them again and restoring who he was to them. And this, this is a story that I really love. We talk about Jesus' next encounter with the disciples um, after he appeared to them. And John 21 says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, maybe he was at the wedding, the sons of Zebedee, and the other two disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, <laughs> Simon Peter said to them. Maybe you're disillusioned that Jesus hasn't fulfilled the purpose you had for him. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you've given up on him. You're like, Jesus, I don't see you anymore. I'm going to go back to my old life. I'm going to go fish. I'm going to do what first brought me contentment. And that's what the disciples were doing here. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and they got into the boat. And that night, once again, they caught nothing. I believe they were actually pretty good fishermen. Or <laughs> can't explain why they never catch anything, but I believe it's what God was doing in them. And it says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? 
No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who was that? John. I love the irony of this. This is the book of John written by John. (laughs) And he says the disciple who Jesus loved. It's like if I put a message on our group saying, the elder who Luke loves is Dave, sent by Dave. And it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he meant it in absolute truth, Jesus did love John, said, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken off, and he jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not from the shore, far from the shore, about 100 yards or 30 meters. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. It's interesting to note here, Jesus already had fish and bread. He didn't need the disciples to get their fish and bring it to him. He had it prepared for them, but it was again just the miracle of showing how he provides. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come, have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And whenever I want to remind myself of intimacy with Jesus, I think of the story. I think of how the disciples had lost him and they found him again and how they'd gone back to their ways and they spent time with him sitting on this beach, eating this meal that he had prepared, just seeing him again and being encouraged by him again. And I want us to, there's one thing I want us to take away from this morning is that image of just spending time with Jesus, no matter what the place you're in, he'll provide and he's there to connect with you. And Jesus still did miracles after he rose again. He was still fully powerful. And it's also interesting that the disciples, they weren't out preaching the gospel. They weren't turning the world upside down. They'd gone back to their ways. You would think Jesus might have been a bit disappointed. Guys, I'd prepared you for this moment over my ministry time, and you've let me down. You've failed me. But he wasn't like that. He was, come to me. Let me restore you. Let me speak to you. And so those are some examples of how the disciples encountered Jesus. But I want to look at how do we encounter Jesus nowadays. I know what you're going to say. Well, it was easy for them. Jesus was there in flesh and blood. But we don't have that benefit. Is he here with us? And I want to say, well, he is and he isn't. He has gone back to prepare a home for us. But he still said, we're two or more gathered. I'm there with you. And we've seen it already this morning, him ministering, him speaking to us, him encouraging us. And the thing about intimacy with someone is there has to be a someone. I know it's mind-blowing. You can take note. I'll say it again. When there's intimacy with someone, there needs to be a someone. Otherwise, you're on your own. And when we're spending time with Jesus, it's spending time with him. When I first met Kina, we would speak for hours, and we would laugh, and we would dream, and we would talk, and we would build this relationship, and we would get to know each other. And it's the same with Jesus. We spend time with him. We get to know him. He's as real to us now as he was back then. And I just wanted to ask Phil to just come share with us an encounter she had with Jesus lately to just encourage us in that, that we can spend time with him just as the disciples did. Um, Yeah, so the last two months, as of May and June, our family went through 
a big season of sickness. We were all getting sick every week. And it was canceling lots of things. It was me on my own a lot with the kids. And I had got to that place of being very selfish, like Dave was saying. And um, it culminated with our oldest daughter being hospitalized with pneumonia. And that's when I just <laughs> got to the end of myself. And I remember phoning a friend. And I was like, I have to come for coffee because I can't do this anymore. And I went and I spoke with her and... I realized in that moment, although those things are amazing and having friends and going to friends and speaking through things with them, they can't change you. Only Jesus can. And um, so I got home. I was like, God, I need you to show me, please. I don't know. Like, I now have two jobs. I've got two children. I have to run home. Please show me a good time. <laughs> That's good for you. where We can meet. And it was amazing how he used my daughter by waking her up every morning at a ridiculous time to go to the toilet, but she'd go back to sleep. And I'd be so awake, but I would go back to sleep. And I realized in speaking with a friend, God was using her to show me the time that he actually wanted me to meet with him. And the cost, I'm not going to use the word sacrifice because it's not a sacrifice, but the cost for me was sleep. And it meant that waking up early, sitting in a cold room, because it's the only room we can turn the light on in our small house that won't wake up the whole family, and just going to him daily. And um, it's a muscle I've had to learn again. Like, you can't just go to the gym and pick up 10 kgs and think you're going to be fine. Like, it's not going to work like that. You've got to start with 1 kgs. And it's just slowly developing that muscle again. But it's been... It's been amazing. And yes, that first morning wasn't like gold dust on my hand. And, but just what I've seen in my life in terms of being the patience, the joy, the grace for people, the willingness to not rush, just being in his presence and allowing God to use me and just going before him and saying, God, this day is yours. Please show me what you want me to do today and show me more of your heart for me and for your people and it's yeah I've been blown away at what he's done and if I can read a verse I came across this the other morning and I realized this is exactly for me what happens when I meet with him in the morning um Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. And yeah, my prayer is that all of you would find your time, that you would have the courage to, um, yeah, the courage to meet with him and be obedient in the cost that he's asking of you, and that there is so much fruit in that. And so we're talking about a relationship here. It's not a lot of like steps and tips we have to do to encounter Jesus, but I have made some notes of what I found's worked for me. And these are some ways we encounter Jesus. At church, if you're feeling isolated or far from Jesus, come to church. He says, where two or more are gathered, he will be there. We saw that last week with uh, worship at the end after reading about him. Just this amazing time of encountering Jesus. We saw it again this morning in worship. Jesus loves the church. We are his bride. 
We encounter him in community. I might be the only one, so I'll be vulnerable and say, I don't always feel like going to community. There are times where it's been a busy day and it's been hectic and the kids are difficult and there are a million reasons why I shouldn't go. But when I do go, I often come away thinking, I feel so refreshed. It feels like burdens are off my shoulders. It feels like I'm encouraged. I can live life again. I can breathe again. And that's because I've encountered Jesus and I've encountered you guys as well as Jesus ministers to through you. And so don't hold back from engaging in community and church. Um, Expect intimacy with him. Make time for it, as um, Phil was saying. Don't get distracted. Don't sit on your phone and read your messages while you're spending time with Jesus. Set it up as if it's like a date with Jesus. I remember when I first met Keenan, my wife, and um, I realized I'd planned very poorly when I realized there was an epic rugby match on the afternoon that I was meeting her. And we went to the restaurant, and I saw the TV, and I immediately turned and sat with my back to the TV so I wouldn't be distracted at all. And we got to spend time together. And I think sometimes we take our relationship with Jesus for granted and think, oh, sorry, Jesus, there's just a message coming in, or oh, Facebook feed or update. Don't do that. Take out the word and let him speak to you. It's a two-way street. Imagine if I got back from work with Kina and said to her at dinner, and she says, how was your day? And I said, oh, it was great. These things happened, and this happened, and this happened, and here are my list of things I would like you to do for me, da 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 da, da. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go watch a movie. How do you think she would feel if night after night that was our interaction? And that's often how we can be with Jesus. This is my day. This is what I need to do for me. This is my list. And Jesus is like, don't I get to just say something here? And we need to say, Jesus, what are you saying? What's your will in this situation? Get to know him. Don't just read about what he's like. Experience him. We find Jesus in prayer, in fellowship, in quiet times, but also more challenging. We find intimacy with him through obedience, through suffering, through taking up our cross daily. Remember, Jesus is interceding for us all the time. He wants us to be walking this out for him. Invite him into your life. Sometimes we're afraid to do so. We're worried about what he might find. Jesus, I want you to come into my spiritual house, take a look around, but now things are messy or things are disordered or I'm not perfect for Jesus to come in. And then he comes into our life and maybe he does say, oh, that table's a little bit cluttered. It's a little bit messy. But then he says, let me help you clean it. And just encountering him, he cleans our house, and then others come in, and then we have this amazing time together. And I want us to just have a vision of Jesus coming into our house, helping us clean the house, and then us having an amazing banquet together with friends or fellowship. And by the time Jesus leaves, our house is cleaner than it first was before he came in. And we mustn't be afraid to let him in. We saw this when he met um, the woman at the well, at Jacob's well in John 4. And he got to know her. Well, he didn't actually get to know her. He told her about her past, so he already knew her. But he built a relationship with her. And he said, you've had five husbands. And he didn't say, so you're useless to me. Or he didn't say, I can't use you. He said, but I want you to go and speak about me to the nearby village. And he took a woman that was like in such brokenness, and he used her powerfully. And so if he can use her, he can use each one of us. Don't be afraid to let him in your life and help clean up. He met tax collectors. He met all kinds of broken people, and he used each one of them. See, when we encounter Jesus, certain things happen. It's often not what we expected. He addresses questions we didn't even know need answers. He reveals the sin in our lives. He gets to the heart issues, and he sends us out to tell others about him. And for me, my other 
prayer for this morning is that we wouldn't just find a way to spend time with Jesus and have this amazing intimacy and then just sit in that place and never be used by him. We heard from Dana earlier that word of every uh, bro- uh, um, dead garden and each plant and each flower being reestablished and reconnected to the vine and flowering and flourishing. And that's my prayer is as we go and as we spend time with Jesus and go out, we're then used. We're forming part of this beautiful garden. And the picture I had for that was one of this huge water wheel with all these smaller circles in it and buckets on each um, section of the water wheel. And as one bucket is being filled up with water, it overflows into the next one. And that overflows into the next one. And that movement is starting to get the whole wheel turning around. And the picture for us is as we're filled with Jesus' love, we can't help but overflow into other people's lives. And that brings momentum for us. And Jesus said to Peter when he restored him, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus says, you know I do, Lord. And he says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? You know I do, Lord. Feed my sheep. And in that moment, he restored Peter from the man who had let him down, who had denied him three times, and he reactivated him by saying, feed my sheep three times. He said, I don't trust you. I'm going to build my church upon the rock. And he sent him out. And this morning, as we spend time with Jesus, as we get to know him, I want him to activate us to go out and to share the good news, to share our love for him, to share the gospel. John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, who believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so in landing this, which we all know by now is preacher's code for I've got at least 10 or 15 minutes to go. I just want to tell us a story about how do we share about Jesus. And for me, it's not Bible bashing. It's not convincing. It's not rationalizing with someone. It's inviting them to encounter Jesus on the journey that we're already on. And this happened for me at my previous company. Um, Things were going really badly at the company. Work was difficult. The bosses were difficult. Um, the clients were difficult, everything was difficult, and I was like, Lord, please, please find me a new job. Please, can I get out of this company? It was my like, daily prayer. And then one day in the quiet time, I heard God saying to me, okay, you can go. And I was like, yes. And he said, when your boss publicly announces Jesus in your life, I'm never leaving this company. <laughs> and I, I love my boss, but he was a difficult guy to please. And... Um, he was German. I'm not making any relation to that being difficult, but just for background. So he was a German guy, and just it was never good enough, and it was difficult. But then as I got faith for it, and I settled in my heart, God wants me to stay out of conviction. God started to do amazing things, and my interactions with him changed. And I remember my boss would come in and say, you're a Christian, right? You pray? And I'm like, yeah. And he said, we, our sales are down at the moment. Please, can you pray for sales? And so I faithfully prayed, and in three months, we doubled our sales volume from what they had been. And he said, okay, that's a bit of a coincidence. Um, And then he came back and said, I need more prayer, Dave. I have to go shoe shopping with my daughter this weekend, and I really don't have the patience for it. Please pray for me. And so I prayed. And he came back on the Monday and said he'd had the best time he had spent with his daughter in his life. I don't know why I'm crying. That's weird, but... He had this connection with her that he had never experienced before. And I believe it was God's love working through him into his daughter. And then the one day, we had to go to Muscle Bay together. And I got up at 3, 
and we were in the car by four, and we were driving for four hours together, and we were just talking about random things. And he was asking about prayer and how do I pray, and then he opened up to me and he said, you know, his faith is, is a dead faith for him. It's not like, like I experienced God. He said, he's in the German Lutheran church, and there's no one for him to pray for. There's no one for him to talk to. He goes to church, and he feels alone and lost and dead inside. And he says, but when he talks to me, he feels there's life there. And so I got to share the gospel with him over four hours of just driving together. And then a few weeks later, he came into the office and I was um, picking up my guitar to go to community. And he said to the lady that was in the office with us, he said, have you seen, have you seen how Dave is different? Have you seen the change in him? That's Jesus in his life. And he says, I believe it. And in that moment, I felt God say, you're released. <laughs> but by that stage, I didn't want to go anymore. Because I was seeing how God was using me in difficult circumstances to touch this man's life and to touch the lives around him. And I've seen it in my walk at work often. And so my prayer is that we don't try to get out of difficult circumstances. We don't try to see, okay, God, this is what I need. We ask him, who around you and around us has he put for us to touch? And we just include them in the journey. We just share our lives with him. And so maybe the worship team can come back up again. But for us, what I would love to do is just take a moment. I'm going to ask for, for us just to spend a moment with Jesus and for him to remind us, who is that person that he's put on your heart to reach out to, that he wants you to share your journey with? Maybe it's someone that you have been mean to message for two years. <laughs> maybe it's someone you met yesterday. But I'd love him just to reactivate that evangelistic side in us and be, this is the person. And I would love to pray for us that what he did with me and my boss, he would do with each one of you as we reach out to him. And so, yeah, let's close our eyes. I'm going to pray for us. Yes, God. Yes, Lord. Yeah, Lord, thank you that it was a massive cost to send your son to die for us. For our sin, Lord, and that each one of us is separated from you, God, because of the sin in our lives. And there's no way around that unless we come through your son. And so I want to pray if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, that's had a glimpse of who you are, that's encountered you, you want to come and change their lives. You want to come spend time with them. And you want to equip them to be used by you. And so maybe you came here this morning expecting a nice church service with some nice songs and you encounter Jesus as a result. And so if that's you this morning, all eyes are closed and heads are bowed, won't you just lift your hand up if you've never met Jesus before and today you're feeling this is the day I want to give my life to him. I want to start this journey with him. feeling God is speaking to you in that way, but you're a bit shy, you can come and speak to me afterwards. I can introduce you to Jesus. And then for the rest of us, 
I'd love us just to take a moment and quieten our hearts and just let go of anything else, work, relationships, stress, any distractions, and just be, Jesus, come speak to me. Fill me. I want to encounter you. I want to be like the disciples who sit with you on that beach and just have a meal together. And nothing else matters but our time with you, Jesus. But then I want you to come and equip us to go out and to share the good news. And it is good news. And Lord, I pray that you, for each one of us, would just lay on our hearts right now. Who is that person or those people or the couple or the family that you want us to reach out to? The unsaved and the lost. Timothy says, the Lord wants all men to be saved, all people to be saved. And God, I pray that you just lay on our hearts right now who that person is and that we would commit to messaging them right after the service making a note on our phones giving them a call this week and we pray Lord that you would break open new life for them opportunities to meet you and experience you and that you would turn each one of their lives around as you did with my box I pray that you would come and do that